We'll grab your Bible this morning and open it to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We've spent three weeks introducing a question that is vital to our faith in Jesus Christ and will carry us through the rest of the year. The question is, do I trust God? And this answer, I believe, probably like you do, it will change your life forever based on this answer. The first week, we talked about how life will have very different outcomes based on the answer to this question, do I trust God? The second week, we asked the question, is God trustworthy? And we concluded that he is worthy of our trust. Last week, Pastor Cooper talked about how we... We can have doubts sometimes, and that makes it challenging to trust God, but the encouraging thing is God doesn't give up on us. He chooses to be loving, kind, and compassionate while we work out our issues of trust with him, and I think that's another reason we should trust him, because how he responds to us in our difficult times of need. Today, I want to look at two verses. Two verses that are going to become very fundamental to answering this question all year long. These two verses are our theme verse for the rest of the year, and we will refer to them often throughout the series. These two verses also communicate how you trust God. It's the how. We've been talking about the why, and we'll continue to talk about the why, but these two verses really talk about the how. How do I trust God? How do I give him my life? And these two verses come from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. But I want you to listen really quick to what one theologian says about these verses and about the book of Proverbs. He said, In a world bombarded by inane cliches, trivial catchwords, and godless soundbites, the expression of true wisdom is in short supply today. The church stands alone as the receptacle and repository of the inspired traditions that carry a mandate for a holy life from ancient sages, the greatest of whom was Solomon and from the greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. As the course and bulk of biblical wisdom, the book of Proverbs remains the model of curriculum for humanity to learn how to live under God and before humankind. As a result, it beckons the church to diligently study and application. To uncommitted youth, it serves as a stumbling stone, but to committed youth, a foundation stone. That's my hope for us this morning, is that we would see that these three verses can be the foundation of our life. I'm going to read to you uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, but I want to read it from three versions so that we can get a good understanding of it together. The first version is NIV. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. New Living says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. 
The message says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the one that keeps us on track. And as we endeavor this year to answer this question, do I trust God? Would you help us? Would you lead us? Would we be following you in this process of discipleship? And would you show each and every one of us the best way that we can individually serve you? And would you show us corporately the best way to honor and follow your word in a world that is moving towards a different future? In Jesus' name, amen. These two verses, I believe, give us four practical ways to trust God. And you'll notice there are four phrases, two in verse five, two in verse six. And each phrase begs a question about trusting God. The first one is this, and the first way that we are encouraged to trust God is verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the question that begs in that verse is, am I going to give God all of me? Am I going to give him everything? Am I going to trust him with all of my heart? Now, let me talk about something that is really unique about this verse and unique about Old Testament literature, but also about Old Testament culture. The Jewish culture uh, put a lot of stock and belief in your heart. And at that time, you know, long time ago now, two, 3,000 years ago, um, they, they're kind of their belief was that everything happened in your heart. So there, there wasn't necessarily a really strong separation in their thinking that you had like heart, soul, mind, and strength or something like that, or, or spirit. Uh, they really believed that the majority of your life and everything in our life, even kind of our thoughts in, in many ways, all came from your heart because the heart was the center of who you were. The heart was the center of all of a person's emotional, intellectual, religious, and moral activity. So everything flowed through your heart, your life and everything in it. This was their, their understanding. And, and because of that, they believed that the heart was super important, but it also needed to be protected above all things. And so the author of, of Proverbs in chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So there's this strong understanding of, of what the heart does. The Hebrew word for heart is leb, but it's pronounced live. Very interesting way to pronounce this word because it actually is it's what it does. It helps us live. The word for heart is used 46 times in Proverbs, so almost twice every chapter. It's used 858 times in the Old Testament. So it's used a lot. It's talked about a lot. The heart was one's inner self. The heart was the, it was the center of your will, your inclination, your reason, your disposition, your determination, your courage, your rage, your understanding. All of that came from the center of you, 
which was your heart. And the Old Testament communicates over and over again the importance that God and the Jewish mindset placed on the heart. They believed that, first of all, our heart was, was physical, that the physical body's functions were attributed to the heart. So the heart could control all kinds of things. Throughout the book of Proverbs, you'll see that the heart controls facial expressions, it controls your words, it controls your tongue, and it controls all of the physical body and all of the whole of your physical body. The heart was also the center of your psyche, of your, of your intellect. So your intellect and your will was in your heart, your emotions, your, your heart thought, it reflected, it pondered life, your heart discerned, and it prompted action. And then the heart also was attributed spiritual functions. So your heart accepted and trusted God. It, it felt, it felt moods of desire from thirst and hunger to reverence and remorse to God. It could covet and envy. It could discern all ethical activity. The heart could accept or deny wisdom. The heart could receive teaching and it could also despise discipline. So they, they really understood the heart as this very important place, and they didn't do as well a job as we do today of distinguishing between heart and mind and soul and spirit. They didn't really do that. They just kind of talked about your heart as the center of everything. And so the heart was very important, and as you see it in the writers of Proverbs, you can see that a lot was going on in the heart to protect it and to understand it. In chapter 7, verse 3 he said, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. In verse 20 of chapter 17, he said, one whose heart is corrupt does not prosper. One whose tongue is perverse falls into trouble. In chapter 12, verse 25, he said, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. In chapter 14, verse 30, he said, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, over and over again, we see these verses that talk about the heart and how it relates to God. But look with me at verse one of chapter three. In verse one of chapter three and verse two, getting to verse five, the writer says something interesting, and I want to show you this as we get started talking about the heart. In verse one, Solomon said, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. But then in verse five, he adds one word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. See, Solomon transitions here and he says, son, I'm, I'm gonna teach you things and there's gonna be things that I pass on to you, that I impart to you as a father does to a son. And, and so I want you to listen to me as I'm teaching you lessons and as I'm talking to you about things. And I want you to, to remember these things, write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will have them all the days of your life. But something I want you to know even more than my teachings, even more than my wisdom, is that you can trust God with everything. There's gonna be times where I'm gonna fail you. God never will. 
There's going to be times where I might do something and I, I fall and I'm not trustworthy. God will always be trustworthy. You can give God everything. And so it's interesting that he transitions in verse 5. The object of our trust becomes the Lord, the Lord God. And so Solomon encourages us to give all of our heart, all of our trust to God, give him everything. See, the Jews believed everything went on in your heart. So Solomon says, give the Lord your whole life. Trust him with everything. Now, that was in Solomon's day. And now here you and I are called to live out this same principle in 2022. But we face a different challenge. I believe there are literally hundreds of little things in our lives today that are distracting us from trusting God with all our heart. Every moment of the day, we're called to answer this question. Do I trust God? Or should I trust that video I watched on YouTube or the college professor that sounds wise or the Instagram post or the hundreds of things vying for my attention today? You and I have a challenge just like Solomon's kids do. Are we going to trust God or are we going to trust the world around us? The second phrase in verse 5 is another hint to how we can trust God. The second phrase in verse 5 says this, lean not on your own understanding. I liked how the message said it. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. How many of you are somewhat like me where you are kind of Lone Ranger-ish and you do try to figure out everything on your own? Yeah, me too. In fact, I think one of the things that YouTube has done for us is it's made me a professional in almost every area of life. <laughs> All I have to do is simply look up that YouTube video and I can do anything. I can fix the sink, I can fix my car, I can fight a fire, I can become a teacher, I can do, what, I can, I can do anything. All I have to do is watch the YouTube. But you and I know that it's so much deeper than that. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. And it begs this question. Am I going to trust God or myself? Am I going to trust God or myself? Somebody recently said this. Americans may claim to trust in God on their coinage, but in fact, they teach and preach Believe in yourself. And isn't that true? That is what we teach as a culture. We don't teach trust in God. We teach believe in yourself. And what Solomon is saying is if you want to live a wise life, you need to stop trusting in yourself. Why should I stop trusting in myself? Well, all of us have our own conscience, don't we? We all have our own abilities. We all have our own thinking. We all have our own discernment and, and our own will. This is unique to who we are. God created you that way and he broke the mold. God gives us a free will. And, and that free will means that we get to believe in ourselves or trust God. But God also gives us a brain. So we can think and make decisions. And he's hoping that we will notice his word and choose to obey him. So here's the challenge that you and I have set before us. God has created us very unique. God has created us with free will. 
God has created us with the ability to make decisions on our own, even without him. But God's hope is that you and I will see that his wisdom is greater than our own and that we will trust him instead of ourselves. Because here's what I've noticed about myself. I don't know if you've noticed this about you, but let me just talk about myself for a minute. Here's my challenge. Here's Mark's challenge. When I look deep inside me, guess what I find? My sin nature. (laughs) If I go deep to the core of where Mark lives, where his selfishness really resides, it doesn't take me long to get there, by the way. How about you? That's what I find. I find that I am a fallen creature, a fallen, beautiful, created work of God. But nonetheless, due to Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, I now have a propensity to sin. I have a disposition that wants to disobey God, that wants to disobey his word, that wants to always say, I'll do it my way. Right? That's the way I'll do it. I'll do it my way. My way's better. And you may ask, well, what's so bad about that? What's so bad about connecting with my sin nature and connecting with that core of me? Let me give you one recent one. When you connect with the core of you, you think that your neighbor and their stuff is yours and you can take your giant stick and pound them with it. For no reason at all. And I don't care how many people I have to kill to get their stuff. That's what happens when you rot in the core. A man might desire a woman and she doesn't want him and so he tries to rape her instead. Anger turns into rage that turns into physical, verbal, emotional, or sexual abuse. We steal. We think little white lies are okay. We keep all our money for ourselves and God calls that greed. We have sex before marriage outside of God's plan. And we just leave God out of all the details of our life because I'm doing it my way. These are the things we begin to lean on. We begin to lean into ourselves and our selfish nature instead of trusting God. See, our sin nature will always say, I want to do it my way, not God's way. And so what the writer of Solomon is saying is, I recognize that. Solomon would have recognized that too. He was human. And he's telling us, hey, don't lean on yourself. As as you lean on yourself, you'll make bad decisions. You'll see bad choices. There'll, There'll be troubles and challenges that you'll make when you lean on yourself. So lean on God. Lean on his wisdom. Know his word and live it out in your life. Now, is Solomon saying and is God saying that we can't ever make any decisions on our own? No, that's not what God's saying. Because God's heart is that you and I will choose him. That we won't choose to leave God out of our lives. We'll choose to bring him into our lives. And everything in our life will turn out the way God wants us to because we're walking in his plan, not our own. Now, that doesn't mean everything will be roses and your life will be all put together in a perfect way, but it means that God will be with you and sustain you and take care of you and be with you every single minute of the day. 
Now, this takes a trained ear. It takes a trained ear to not lean on my own understanding. And here's what I mean. Um, all of us have a conscience. And that conscience is always telling me something. And, and my conscience normally tells me the things that, that I'm bent towards. Now, if I'm bent towards God's word, my conscience will bend me that direction most of the time. But if I'm normally bent towards doing my own thing, my own way, then my conscience will take me that direction because it's inside of me. It's, it's God's put it in there, but it's in me. So I need to train my ear. I need to tune into God's station on the radio dial and hear him clearly in stereo. And I begin to listen and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit instead of my conscience. Now, my conscience isn't bad in, in that sense. It's kind of like the internet, right? Like I can go really bad places or I can go really good places in the internet. My conscience is that way. My conscience can make me help, help me make really good decisions for God or it can help me go my own direction based on how I've trained my ear to hear the Holy Spirit and how I've chosen in the past to make decisions that honor the Lord and honor God's word. As we do that on a regular basis, our conscience begins to say to us on a regular basis, you should trust in the Lord. You should lean on him. You should look, you should look up that situation in God's word and see what God's word says and honor God's word in your life. And as we do that, and as we put God first over and over and over again, our conscience will have a tendency to be less selfish and more focused on what God has for our life. And that's how we become a person that's not leaning on our own understanding, but is trusting in the Lord with all our heart. The third phrase is in verse 6. It's another hint to how we can trust God. And it simply says this, in all your ways, submit to him. It also said, seek his will in all you do. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. This question is, am I going to live for God or the culture around me? See, Solomon said, in all your ways, submit to him. And this is the reality. We're either submitting to the Lord or we're submitting to the culture around us. All of us are growing up and living right now in, in an American environment and in a culture and in a, in a society. Every single day we walk out of our front door and we walk into that culture. So we have to ask ourselves, is the American culture submitted to God? What would your answer be? No. No. Now, there are seven spheres that exist in every society from the most primitive tribes in the deepest jungles to the most sophisticated megacities with the most technology you can imagine. There's seven things that are always existing in every single culture and society, and they are family, economy, government, religion, education, media, and celebration. Every single culture in the world has these seven things inherent 
in its culture on a regular basis. These seven spheres impact our lives regularly and daily. So I ask you again, is the American culture submitted to God in these seven areas? Does American culture embrace God's idea of family or have they redefined what family is? And we can keep on asking that question for every sphere, can't we? How about economy? I don't think so. I think we do our economy based on how we want to, not how God wants us to. And I even would say that money has become one of the gods in America. Because I notice that when uh, the stock market starts to go down a little bit and go in the tank, we start to get really freaked out. We don't care that we're killing people with drunk driving at a rapid clip or killing babies in abortion at a rapid clip. But when our money starts to go away, what do we go? What do we say? Oh, hey, everybody, we better do something about this. Why? Because money is our God. And so economically, we've said, no, we're not going to do money God's way because God is generous and we tend to hoard. How about government? Should we go there? Religion and government in the same list? I don't know if we should. Yeah, that might sound kind of scary in that pot, right? Not even close. We're not there. We're not following God and government. Our leaders are not taking us down the path to honor God's word and to follow him. That's not happening either. Religion? Not really. We're not a culture that cares about God because church attendance is about the, the best way that we can figure that out culturally, right? Most states hover around about a 10% Sunday church attendance rate. Some churches or some states are lower than 10%, like the state we live in, Washington. We're around 7% attendance. And then um, other states can sometimes be a little bit more. But let me give you another example of this that, that I saw recently. When Governor Ensley started writing mandates for the state to follow in response to COVID, and remember all those mandates came out in 2020 and he gave us de uh, direction about what we should do, he didn't even put anything about the church in the mandate. So here's what people should do when they go to restaurants and go to concerts and big groups here and big groups there. He did not even think about big groups that were meeting in the name of Jesus. Why? Is that because he hated God? No, I don't think so. Here's what I think. It wasn't even on his radar. Not even on the radar. Not even a thought. The consultants that consulted him didn't even think about it. Why? Because that's where we are as a culture. 90% of us aren't even thinking about Sunday morning because we serve a new God. His name is NFL. Or golf or fishing, or whatever. MLB, yeah, whatever, hopefully. Education? Does our education system encourage teachers to have discussions about God with students? No. At most schools across our country, there's a hesitancy, right? Or even a persecution that happens if someone talks about God or uses Jesus' name. Now, it is interesting. At the college level, they do talk about God quite a bit. Unfortunately, it's most of the time in a negative context by a professor that's angry at God. Next is media. Now, I was thinking about the media one, so I... I um, 
as I was preparing this message and thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? It's interesting. I have heard Jesus' name in media quite a bit. Fortunately, it was a cuss word. Not to honor his name or to make his name holy or to honor the first commandment and the second one too. And celebration, I don't think so either. We don't really celebrate in the way that probably God would want us to as a culture. We've replaced that with multiple false gods in our celebrations as well. So when you look at our culture, where we're at as a culture, in the seven spheres of our culture, we've left God out of all seven fears. Now, why do I explain this or talk about this? Because I want us to, this is the reality of the culture we live in. So when we start to answer this question, do I trust God? And we start to think about how am I going to live that out in the context in which I live in as I walk out that door, we have to understand the reality and the culture that we live in. And we now live in a culture that does not trust in God from the top down or even from the bottom up. Therefore, it's up to you and I to individually show the world what it looks like to trust God. That's our calling. That's our job as Christians. We get to show the world what it looks like to, in all of our ways, submit to him. This is the third way we trust in God, by submitting to him. This is our challenge moving forward as believers. We live in a world that is not submitting to the Lord, but that means that as you and I submit fully to the Lord, guess what? Our light shines even brighter. The name of Jesus can be seen even holier. Our righteous acts can be seen for what they are, a representation of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as you and I choose to be a light in the darkness, when the darkness gets really, really dark, that one candle gets really bright, doesn't it? And so I want to challenge you and encourage you that God is right there with you. If we've learned anything from God's word, it's this, right? That God loves to be in the lion's den with us. God loves to stand in the fire with us. And God loves to deliver us from every single difficult moment. This is the God we serve. And this is the God we trust. So therefore, that means that we have all of the power of heaven behind us, all of the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us. Therefore, we have no worry or anxiety as we walk out the door into a world that is not choosing Christ because our strength of choosing Christ and submitting to his word and submitting to his way becomes more powerful than anything we could possibly touch in the world. Amen? See, as people, we want to trust God in everything. But the challenge is, what do we do? Do we quit our job? Run for the hills, buy a solar panel, and live off the land? Sometimes we want to, don't we? <laughs> yes. And if that's what God is telling you to do, go do it. That's fine. There's nothing unbiblical about it. But we can also stand strong and courageous and show the lost and hurting world the love of Jesus. Both are biblical. Neither are wrong. And both come with all of the power of heaven behind you. Now, as we answer this question, do I trust God, we'll be addressing the challenges of living in this world that's ignoring God. And we'll discover the blessings of submitting our lives to a loving Savior. 
This isn't an easy path every day. It's not an easy path, but it is the best path. But how many of you know that the, the best path is not always the easiest path? That's just the truth. The best things in our life are not the easiest things in our life. Now, my sinful nature will always gravitate towards what? Towards the easy street. It just will, because I like that. I like to push a button and have my garage door just open automatically. I like to have the world at my fingertips, right? But that's not always the easiest route. If you want diamonds, if you want gold, you got to get in them there hills and mine it out, and it's hard work. I want to finish this section with a question. What is the hardest thing for you to submit to God? Don't tell your neighbor. But what's the hardest thing for you to submit to God? A relationship? Your sexual desires? Your finances? Anxiety and depression? Your hopes and dreams? Your kids? Your time? Your talents, your thoughts, your words? How about your future? I want you to know our God is super awesome. He's most powerful, and he can empower you to live for him in every circumstance. So whatever is your hardest thing, give it to God. Submit it to him, and he can help you with it. Now, God lastly said that he would help us with something if we would submit our lives to him. If we'll submit our lives to him, he said he would do something for us. It's like a promise. It's the fourth phrase in verse 6 where he says, And he, he being God, will make your paths straight. This is when you and I submit all of our life and all of our heart to God. The promise from the Proverbs, from Solomon, from God, is he will make your path straight. This question is this one. Do I trust God with my future? Now, how many of you are Lord of the Rings Hobbit fans? There's, there's a great moment in the Hobbit series about this idea it's the moment where um, Frodo and the Hobbits, not Frodo, um, help me out here, Bilbo and the dwarves are heading into the forest and they need to stay on the path. And Gandalf is telling them, hey, this forest is, it's different, it's crazy, it's kind of evil in there, but if you stay on the path, you'll be just fine. There's something interesting that he says along the way about this, and I want to show it to you and then show you how it relates to us in our lives as Christians, because I think sometimes it's interesting, these stories that we're loving right now, the Tolkien stories and the C.S. Lewis stories, they're very spiritual, and in many ways, they're very biblical. Watch this quick clip with me. This is not the greenwood of old. There is a stream in the woods that carries a dark enchantment. Do not touch the water. 
cross only by the stone bridge. The very air of the forest is heavy with illusion. It will seek to enter your mind and lead you astray. Lead us astray? What does that mean? You must stay on the path. Do not leave it. If you do, you'll never find it again. No matter what may come, stay on the path. Come on, we must reach the mountain before the sun sets on Durin's Day. Durin's Day. Let's go. It's our one chance to find the hidden door. Now Gandalf said three interesting things here. The first one, this is not the Greenwood of old. And I'll remind you, we do not live in the world of old. We do not live in a world anymore that loves purity and wants righteousness to be a part of our world. We don't live in the America of old. We don't live in the America that wants God involved and wants God here. We live in a new world that is blazing ahead at warp speed and doesn't have time for God and his ancient wisdom. We live in a new world, and we have to embrace that new world with our trust fully in God if we're going to present the gospel to the world. The second thing he said was, the very air in the forest is heavy with illusion. It will seek to enter your mind and lead you astray. I can't think of a greater description of our life today, of the world today. That's a great definition of the world today. It's heavy with illusion, and it will seek to enter your mind and lead you astray. We have to remember as believers, because we know the truth, that the enemy of our soul is behind all this. And he wants every single thing that is out there in our world right now, distracting us from following Christ, those are all illusions meant to lead us astray. And so many things are get us off the path of God and want us to not remain faithful to him. And so we're called to, to notice that, notice those illusions and stand strong in the armor of God. The last thing he said is, you must stay on the path and not leave it. If you do, you'll never find it again. No matter what may come, stay on the path. Stay on the path. Now we face the same exact challenge today. We must stay on God's path. Now here's what's great. We have one. This is the path. In these pages are the path to life. In these pages are the pathway to live a righteous and holy and godly life before Jesus Christ our Savior. This book holds them. As we trust in God and as we trust in God's word, we become people that are living on the path that God has for us. Now, how many of us know there are many things in our future and there are many things coming that are designed to tempt us to leave the path? And all of us have one, don't we? Each of us are unique in our own way and we all have our own temptations and our own desires. And those things are how the enemy chooses to pull us off the path. How many of you notice that pull in your life right now? It's there. It's like there all the time, every day, trying to pull us off the path. Even my thinking will say, I don't like God's path. I want to do it my way. There, there's a better path out there. I deserve what I should get. You know, all those things that we hear in our culture are all things trying to pull us off the path. Lots of voices in our world today are telling us, I know a better path than God's word. And you and I are called to stay on the path. Now, 
Here's what's really important as you and I are going to stay on this path, right? Because trusting in God means that we will trust in God's path for our life. It means we believe God will make our path straight, but it also means that we recognize that God's word is the path. And therefore, if I am going to stay on the path, I have to what? Know what it says. (laughs) And to know what it says, I need to be reading it. I need to be studying it. I need to be memorizing it. I need to have it in my life. And so God's word becomes the most essential part of our life. This straight path happens. It happens naturally. We call it discipleship. As we spend time in God's word and we spend time in God's presence, we get to know God deeply. It denotes a relationship that one has with God. A straight path is this understanding that your relationship wants to please the Lord because you want to trust in the Lord with all your heart, because you're not leaning on yourself, because you're listening to God's voice in all you do. And as a result of this intimate relationship with God, your path is straight. You're on the path. Your future is secure. Now, not because the future is secure, but because God is secure and he holds the future. This is our future as a church. I believe this is our future as believers. And this is why I'm endeavoring this year to answer this incredibly important question. Do I trust God. Now my hope, my prayer, is that each of us will be able to say at some point during this time, either today or at some point as the Holy Spirit works on you, I trust God with all my heart. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this this is my prayer for us as a church It's my prayer for every single person in this room individually. It's my prayer for every single person watching online. It's my prayer for every believer in the world, and it's my prayer for every person that's ever ever born on this planet that we would on our own, of our own free will, say, I want to trust God with all my heart. I give you everything, Jesus. I give you every area of my life. It's not easy, but it's really good. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us on this path. That you would help us as we leave this room and as we head out into a world that doesn't trust you, help us to be a light. Help us to be those individuals that are surrendered and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To the word of God and to the fellowship that we have with the believers. Lord, may may we look really, really different to the world. I, I pray that, Lord. That's actually what holiness is. It's looking different than the world. I pray that you would place that inside each of us, a holiness and a righteousness that shines for the world to see. Would you help us 
Would you help each of us? Because each of us have challenging things that we're working on submitting to. We want to submit to your word. We want to submit to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yet all of us have those challenges that are tempting us, those sinful things that are inside of us that want to go our own way. Lord, would, we, would you help us in those moments? Would you be our strong tower? Would you, would you rescue us in those moments of temptation? Help us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to following your spirit and your word. We give you thanks and praise, Lord. Help us to be able to say this with all of our heart. Lord, I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for coming to Cheney Faith Center today. It was great to see all of you. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.